life was really great. Just like a paradise. After six months, she was sick of me being there. Show me your ID. Show me birth certificates. Tomorrow, we are gonna be transported and then we are gonna be starved to death. I have to keep myself alive. I just left. The rich government people, they spent all their money. I lost many friends because there is no safety guarantees. All they give us is dark flashlights. I'm gonna get out of here. I'm gonna make it. Hello, listeners, and thanks again for joining us for the second episode of the first season of A Long Road Home. This podcast is a collection of real-world stories about the people behind the apps that you use every day. In our first episode, we introduced you to Chol, Charles Ryu. Charles defected from North Korea when he was 17 and is now working as a Lyft driver in Silicon Valley. When we first met Charles, he told us about his experience growing up in North Korea how he grew up without parents, and why he escaped to China to meet the father that abandoned him when he was a young boy. If you haven't already, I recommend that you go back and listen to the first episode of this podcast before today's episode. That said, in today's episode, Charles is going to tell us about his relationship with his estranged father, how he was recaptured by the North Korean government, why he ended up working in a coal mine, and what life is like as a homeless child in North Korea. It's an amazing story. So let's get back to it. Here's a little bit more from Charles. So let me go back to your first escape. That's a big risk. Tell me about what you were feeling and why you wanted to take that risk. Well, you know, I was only 14. I didn't know anything. Like, I didn't know it's going to be a risk. My brother said, there is going to be a smuggler help you out and there's going to be no risk. Also, if you go to China, your father is Chinese, so the cops won't come and arrest you. Nobody's going to harass you, you know. Nobody's going to do anything. You're Chinese. So I didn't know any, anything about risk, you know. I thought like, okay, happy ever after. When I got to China side, the really one great thing about the China was the TV channel. It has hundreds of channels. In North Korea, they have only one channel, which is educational broadcasting. Like, only thing like, okay, how do we make Kim Il-sung feel better? Kim Jong-il feel better. How do we worship him, you know? Anyways, so the banana, right? Banana and pineapple. Well, not Korea. They don't have it because it's really expensive and valuable, right? So I never ate a, ate a banana before. Father says, okay, you can eat this, you know? So my father handed me one banana. I didn't know. I just ate it, you know? Without just like the covers on. Like when I ate it, it was so, like bitter, right? It was really bitter. And I didn't know, oh my God, why people eat this? It's really bitter, you know? So you ate the banana peel. Yeah, banana peels, whole right. peels, right? And my father was like kind of laughing at me, right? And the same as a pineapple too. Yeah, the rhyme. I ate that too. It was so bitter. <laughs> oh my God. And it was... My life was really great because I could eat all the things that I never tasted before. And I could watch like foreign movies, you know, like I could watch like foreign dramas, like just like a paradise. But somehow like my father starting to hate me, you know, because you don't, you don't even want to have the child and you haven't known the child for like 10 years and you just met it. So he was sick of me being there, right? After like six months. And I mentioned that uh, he had a third wife, right? So the third wife from North Korea and the third wife, she brings her children, three children, or girls. So we live all together. I don't know. He liked the girls and he never like hang out with me anymore, you know. And when he go out, he only go out with the girl. He never be with me. Like even my birthday, he never buy me a cake. 
he never bought me a clothes. What I did was if my stepmother gave me a $10 or $20 in Chinese money, every week she gave me money to use for the whole weekend to buy um, you know, snacks, something like that. Mm-hmm. I went to the used clothes store to buy the clothes because my father doesn't buy me a clothes. So I have to buy it myself. And you know what he said? Like in China, you don't really buy the clothes because the clothes who sell it is because they're selling it because the previous owners are dead. You're wearing a dead person's clothes. Buy me something then. Just, you know, buy me some clothes. You're not getting me any clothes. So I have to go to, I have to do it myself, you know? So he, he wouldn't buy anything for you. And then he didn't like that you were going to the used clothes store. Yeah, to buy it. Cause I was, you know, I don't have any money, but only thing that I could, I could buy with it is just use store, right? Use clothing store. But he didn't like it because it's a dead person's clothes and he doesn't want me to bring in the house. Anyways, so he had uh, three girls in the house. And one day in 2009, January, they got in trouble. So let's say North Korean girls, they're really, you know, they have a like stealing, you know, that, that kind of things like lying, stealing, you know, and I don't know what they did, but they brought a cops with home. The girls brought a yeah. cop, a yeah, police China, officer. police officers okay. to our house. And then he also asked me, show me your ID, show me birth certificates to my father. Where's the child birth certificate? And also, I don't speak any Chinese because my father also cannot prove that I'm Chinese. And even though I'm his son, he doesn't have any way to prove it. So I got caught with whole the family, <laughs> except my father, the three girls, me, and the mother. Stepmother, she was also not Korean. So four of us, the one girl, the oldest girl of the of the, the my stepmother's daughter, she got married too at China. So four of us were get caught. So hang on a second. There's the three daughters that your father had with his third wife. Mm-hmm. And the three girls caused some sort of trouble. A police officer comes to the house. They realize that you don't have a birth certificate. And so your stepmother, your father, and two of the girls are in trouble. No. So who in trouble is because the girls aren't my real father's daughters. So he never knew them before. But after he met a third wife, it's the third wife's children. Right. So when the two girls brought a cops with home, only me, her, and the other two children, they are in trouble. Because my father is Chinese. Oh, so the third mother, the third wife is North Korean. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes, yeah, she was North Korean. So the third wife is North Korean. Yes. Her daughters are North Korean, mm-hmm. and you're North Korean, yeah. but your father He's is Chinese. Chinese. So the four of you are in trouble. He's not. Yeah, he's not in trouble. Got it. Yeah. Because it used to be five of us, but the one got married to a Chinese guy, disabled guy. And then we got caught in China, January 9th, in 2009. So eventually, the police officers came into my door and cut us up. And then they sent us to Chinese jail, which is in a Dolmen Bimbang Resort. It's like a transaction. Processing? Uh, yeah, processing. So I was in the Chinese prison for 17 days, almost. And then after that, they sent me to North Korea. Before you go on to North Korea, what was Chinese jail like? Well, Chinese jail was a little bit better because I've never been to North Korean jail before until I get caught in China, right? And the first time experiencing Chinese jail was, well, it was okay, you know, because they fed us well. And even though it was a jail, they fed us with the meat. So I was so surprised, right? Well, they feed us a meat and they like white rice and eggs and stuff. 
and then it was free kind of free you know they just let us do whatever we want because they know like tomorrow we are gonna be transported to north korea and then we're gonna be starved to death they know already so like let them be free were the people in china friendly no, no. they're not definitely friendly <laughs> they just so if we're trying to like talk them back like let's say go to sleep or you know they just want us to be straight right and if we say something back, they're going to come in and we, they're going to hit us with the stick. Okay. So there's discipline in the Chinese jail, but they feed you well and allow you to do yeah. what you want during yes, the day. exactly. Yeah. Okay. And then February 9th, I got caught and I don't really exactly remember, but I think it was January 9th and I got deported back to North Korea in January 20 something. I don't exactly remember the date. Let's take a quick moment to recap what we've just heard from Charles. The main takeaways from this segment are that Charles defected from North Korea to China to reunite with his estranged father. In China, Charles was exposed to life outside of the reach of the North Korean propaganda machine. In addition to living with his father, who is a Chinese citizen, Charles also lived with his stepmother and her three daughters who were North Koreans. Charles's father neglected Charles in favor of his new family, which led to strife in their relationship. Less than a year after Charles arrived in China, his stepsisters caught the attention of the Chinese police, which led to Charles and the rest of his family, except his father, getting arrested for being in the country illegally. Then, Charles, his stepmother, and his stepsisters were sent to Chinese jail and were eventually deported back to North Korea. This recap was brought to you by ProTier. ProTier is a service that provides independent contractors the ability to quickly and easily form a business. If you're a 1099 contractor, ProTier will create a business license for you that will help you save thousands of dollars by allowing you to allocate your expenses like gas and your cell phone to your business. For $50 a year, you can turn your contract work into a real business. To start a business, visit pro Tier.com, that's P-R-O-T-I-E-R.com, and use promo code BENJSHAP for 50% off your first year of service. Pro-Tier. Okay, let's get back to Charles. So, there was a lot of people in big trucks. It wasn't that big, but it was kind of big. So, we handcuff each other's hand like this. It had a fence. The metal fans. So you're you're chained together. Yeah, chained up so we cannot escape. With my father's wife and two other kids. So a total of four of us. And we got into North Korean jail and then they tortured us. Well, they didn't torture me, but kind of because I was a kid. I was only 14 years old. So by the time when I get caught in North Korean jail from the Chinese and deported like North Korea, there was there was enough room to put us all because the prison was a small, right? The prison in North Korea. Well, it's not a prison, so it's like a first process of questioning, like find out the main purpose of escaping North Korea. Interrogation. Interrogation, is that what it's called? They're trying to get information mm-hmm. out of you to understand why you broke the law. Yeah, so it's like a CIA. It's North Korean called like a, a boibu. The highest government is boibu. We got cut over there and then there wasn't enough room to put us all in the jail. So they put us with a child, they put us on an office, and then the very next room was like a torturing room. And at nighttime, we could hear them like screaming, 
because they've they've been getting salt tortured heart with a really long stick, really thick stick. Bamboo. They bamboo. Is there is there bamboo? Bamboo is a type of wood, a hollow stick. No, it's more than that. It's like this, really long, yeah. really thick. And they hit him with the legs, and you know everything else. I can hear them screaming, ah, please, you know. And well, it was fine in my turn, but they didn't hit me that really hard because I was just a kid. And then I just told them, okay, I just went to find my father, and I just wanted to live with my father. And they just they just thought, okay, you know, but this is him, you know. And then around a month in the North Korean jail, and then I got transferred to like bigger jail. So they have a small prison and then big prison for transporting the people, escaping people, the victims to their hometowns. I got in there. I was working there for eight months, forced working by eight months. Let me ask you a question about the process once you're arrested. Do you get sentenced? Is there a trial? Is there any way for you to explain what you've done? Mm -hmm. Yes. So when I get caught, I was a minor, right? I was 14 years old, uh, 14 and a half in North Korean age. So... The first process of getting caught in North Korea, so let's say Chinese government send, send us back to North Korea, right? So the boy Boo is gonna question us. So where are you trying to go? Like a first, first questioning, right? And then from there, if you are okay, if I so let's say, okay, you know what? I just went to China because I was hungry. I just wanted to eat something, you know? I just wanted to live my life. Then they're, just, they're gonna say, okay, then we're gonna let you go home. And then from the hometown, you will get sentenced. But if you have like any evidence or any idea, or if you say something that I really wanted to go to South Korea or you really wanted to go to like another country, then they're not going to let you go at all. They're just going to kill you there. So if you're escaping because you're trying to survive, that's okay. But if you have an allegiance to another country, that's cause for death. The reason why is that is because North Korea and South Korea is really enemies, right? And then North Korea is trying to make people believe what the North Korean government says, which is South Korea is really poor, poor than us. You know, we are the best. And then people trying to go to South Korea, which is like the completely different minded. So if they let them go to their hometown and then they're going to get sentenced, which is like five or six years of the labor camp, they're going to get out someday, right? And they're going to tell other people that South Korea is rich. And they're going to know that. So they're going to need it. let them go at all. They don't want that happen. Okay. So uh, tell me more. You get sent back to your hometown. Yep. It was a long journey, you know. And then I got out. So, well, there was a lot of like family stuff, you know, in, in, the, in the, the first jail. But anyways, so North Korea is really poor. So they don't really have a rice, you know. They just fed us with the corns every meal. So one month, I was in a, the small, it's called Onsong Boibu, which is like a CIA, right? And there they're going to question, question us and then blah, blah, blah. And I obviously didn't have any feeling to the South Korea. So they just let me go to the bigger labor camp so I can, after I work for them, serve them, and then I can go home. How long was your sentence? I didn't get the sentence, like really, really sentence. So I'm going to make this easier, right? So... In United States, every area, there is a police officer, right? So let's say conquer police department. So if somebody's doing something wrong, in conquer people come to San Francisco doing something wrong, then conquer police officers, right? They're going to respond for the person who committed a crime in another city. Same as like North Korea. So my hometown is in another city. And then if you committed a crime, they have to come pick us up and then bring us home and then give a sentence. 
But since I was a child, uh, they didn't sentence me at all. They just let me work, you know, they just like until I die because they don't care. I'm just a child. <laughs> but thank God before I die, it's been like eight months and in the labor camp, what they feed us is 50 kernel of the corns every meal. So breakfast, lunch and dinner for eight months. For the soup, they just boil the seawater and mix it with the regular water. So it's make it salty. So they don't have to buy a salt at all. And then just cut off some vegetable, which is like a red lettuce. And they just feed us for eight months. And at the end of it, I was almost death because I don't have any meat or I don't have any energy to walk. And I have to keep myself alive. So every time I go outside, we have a community service every 7 a.m. through 7 p.m. We go outside and help people like fortune working, right? Every time I go out, I was always looking for something to eat, right? even like grass, right? Just because the inside the prison, there's no nothing at all. So if you go outside, we're just always looking for something like even one pieces of rice. I was looking for that. Catching a red. It's going to be really lucky if you're catching a red so you can eat it. But there's uh, always like higher ranked like the prisoners. They're going to take it from us. And they're going to eat it by themselves. And also in North Korean prison, the labor camp, if you have family that got your back, so let's say your family comes to you every once in a week with the food, you're going to be okay because you're eating home meal, right? But if you don't have any family and you're just being by yourself in the prison, in the labor camp, basically you're going to die because they're feeding you like 50 corn kernels of per meals. And your brother-in-law, or not your brother-in-law. Sister-in-law. And your sister-in-law and your brother didn't come? Well, they didn't even know I was get caught. And they didn't even know because the government didn't even notify them. Anyways, so after eight months, I was almost died. And then my hometown police officer come to pick me up at the labor camp. And then he brought me back to my hometown. Why after eight months does the hometown police officer come to get you? Because I was in no condition to work anymore. So okay. I was going to die today or tomorrow. So like the boss of the labor camp saying like... You'd given everything you could yeah. to work. So I, I couldn't even walk because I was too like skinny and I didn't have any energy to work at all. And then they notified my uh, hometown police officer to come to pick me up. And then after eight months, he finally arrived and picked me up. And then I went home. I mean, I went my hometown. But I had nobody in the hometown. I only have like the birth certificates. That one was only named in there. And after my mom died, I who cares about the paperwork? You know, I have to look by myself and it's North Korea. Who cares? I just left without any notifying governments. So they didn't move the birth certificates or like addresses. So my address was still in North Korean, which is Hamgyongnamdo uh, Changjingun. But one thing was my father's sister and brother was still in there. And North Korean government, the police officer, found out that I had a blood related. And they found them and notified them. So they tell my uncle and aunties that your nephew is in jail. You better pick them up or we are going to give you trouble. And then they finally come to pick me up, my aunt and uncle. We're going to pause for a quick moment to recap what Charles just told us. The key points from this segment are that Charles was deported back to North Korea where he was held at a questioning facility. He was interrogated in an office instead of the traditional torturing room, where, as part of his questioning, he was beaten, but not as severely as the other older prisoners who were captured. 
Charles was then transferred to a labor prison where he worked for eight months without adequate nourishment. Eventually, the lack of food left Charles incapable of working, so he was released to a representative from his hometown. He was then forced to live with his aunt and uncle. This recap was brought to you by my company, Ben J. Shap LLC. I'm a brand development and marketing consultant, so if you need help identifying, reaching, and monetizing your customers, I work with a network of boutique consultants who can help you overcome your business's biggest obstacles. If you're in the market for a business consultant, visit benjshap.com or email us at mail at benjshap.com for more information. Okay, let's get back to Charles. After I was in the hometown jail for a month to do the paperwork, you know, because if, if I was 18 years old, then they're going to sentence me to go to work in a, another four years in a labor camp. But since I was a child, I was lucky. They says, okay, don't do it again. We are going to forgive you, but just don't do it again. And I already served, served as a, a prisoner in labor camp for eight months already. If I go to another four years, I could die. And then I got out and I was living with my auntie and uncle for three months. And they're really poor too. They couldn't respond because it was a really small town and they don't have another farm too. So Was this the town that your mother died? Right. This is the small town your grandfather was moved to after he played the song. Yes. Yes. Okay. That is correct. That is correct. And then from there, my aunt sent me to my brother's house again. Okay. Which is Pyongannam the Sunchensi because... Big town. So it was 2010, right? And when I got to my brother's house, it was life was okay too, you know? He had a farm and while I was gone, he bought a machine that prints the shoes, the bottom parts, and he sell them and make money. It's like a, let's say, small business with doing with the government and then they share the profits. And then they were doing really okay with the, the machine. And then as soon as I got there, in 2010, currency exchanged. Explain to me why the currency exchange is important. So in North Korea, if we turn in $10,000, they're going to give us $100 back. And by the time, we can buy two kilograms of rice with $10,000, right? And the currency is really high and they are cutting back. They have the money, but they don't have the product or demands. They don't have a demand. So what the Kim Jong-il really wanted to do is like cutting the money it's going to make everything better, but it didn't because there was not enough product. And also what happened was when they did the currency exchange, every government knew that it's going to happen. So let's say me, I told my friend, it's going to be a currency exchange tomorrow. So you better use all your money or it's going to be nothing the next day. So they went out in traditional black market and buy everything with their money. I say even gold and like rice or silver, gold. And some people sell their house too for that. You know, let's say we are really poor. We didn't have anything, but like some people just came in like, ah, oh, I really want to buy your house. You know, I love your house. I'm going to give you like a million dollars. Do you want it or not? I want it definitely. <laughs> and then the very next day, currency exchanged. So like many people lost their house, you know, even their farms. All their life works. It's gone. So the government devalued the currency to try to make it so the goods were more valuable. Yeah, that goods were for were sale. Valuable. Yes. But yes. there were enough people that knew that the currency was going to be Happen. devalued. So they bought all the goods and everybody that kept the money yep. ended up. It's, it's end up just water, right? It's just a paper. 
There's no use. They got screwed. They got screwed. Yes, exactly. Screwed. So in my neighbor, there was few people suicide, few families suicide because there's no reason to live. You know, they lost all of it. Same as my brothers too. So he sold his uh, machine for like few hundred thousand dollars for not care money because he's so big. You know, he thought he could do more better than that. But the next day, crash happened. So we turned like hundred thousand, two hundred thousand, three hundred thousand, and we got like four, five thousand dollar back. And by the time the rice was like five dollars, it used to be five thousand dollars, but it cut back to five dollars. And the government told us, "Don't use your money. Later on, it's gonna be a cent or a few quarters later on. So don't use it. Just keep it until we say use it." And some people really kept it. And some people like, ah, screw it. I'm gonna buy things. You know, they all bought something. You know, but my brother, he has really honest. They trust the government, <laughs> and they got five thousand dollar. Two months later, it got cut back up. So which is so rice was like five dollars today. Tomorrow it's gonna be like fifty dollars. The next day, it's keep rising, and then finally, like three months or four months later, it cut back again. My brother lost everything, and he's like, you know what? You're fifteen years old now. You have to provide yourself. And he kicked me out from the house. Do you have a good relationship with your brother? Was he upset with you, or was it the only option? I guess. Are you mad at your brother? Yeah, I do very much. So there is another reason my mother died because my brother was the bridge between my mom and my father. Because my father was in China and my mom was in North Korea, and my mom cannot cross the border without a passport, right? But my brother could. He had a passport, and then my mother wrote a letter to my father. Also, my father wrote a letter to my mom, but at the middle, he never gave it to each other. And who knows? My father might send the help to my mom, but my brother had like really mad feeling to my mom when he was younger. So maybe he's saying, "I'm doing revenge. It's my time." And then he just let her die. Who knows? You know, I'm thinking that right now because I'm thinking back time. You know, this is what could be happened. So it seems like your life at your brother's house. Was good relative to some of the other places you were in North Korea, for the most part. But you didn't have a great relationship with him. I say mostly no, but I was happy because I was, you know, I could eat fully. <laughs> that was the only reason that I was happy. We're going to take a moment to go over some of the main points that Charles just brought up. The key takeaways from this segment are that after being released from prison, Charles was sent from his hometown to live with his brother-in-law in the suburb of the capital city. Charles lived comfortably with his brother-in-law until the North Korean government implemented a currency exchange, which decreased the purchasing power for most non-government officials. As a result of the currency exchange and the subsequent crash of the North Korean economy, Charles's brother was unable to support Charles, so he was then once again abandoned by his family. This recap was brought to you by Rinse. Rinse is a dry cleaning and laundry delivery service based in San Francisco, Los Angeles, and Washington D.C. They provide quality cleaning, convenient pickup and delivery, simple scheduling, and amazing customer service. I worked for Rinse for a long time. I am also a customer. It's a great company, and if you're looking for someone to help you get away from your most time-consuming household chore, Rinse is a great service. For twenty-five dollars off your first order, visit rinse.com/ben. Rinse the clean clothing you deserve and convenience you demand. Let's get back to Charles. So he sent me the coal mine that time. So in two thousand ten October, it was around my birthday. <laughs> 
And during the time, so I mentioned like the rich people, the government people, they spent all their money, right? So they bought the gold. And then later on, or some people bought a US currency, US dollars, and they sell them back as like the higher currency as North Korean. And they bought the coal mine from the government. And then they're sharing the profits. So government has something. And so they are selling coals to China. They are selling everything to China, you know. I really hope that someday it's gonna be North Korea and South Korea combined together as soon as possible because sooner or later North Korea is gonna selling everything to China. So at the end of it, North Korea will have nothing. Anyways, and I was working at a coal mine for almost one and a half year. Tell me why you were working at the coal mine. The reason why I have to go to work in a coal mine because my brother was so poor too. So he had two kids and a wife and himself. So four of him in the house, you know, in North Korea, four families, really big, you know, most of them have dragged three or two, but my brother had four, so including me is five. So he cannot even carry his family. He told me like, I cannot responsible for you at all. So just get out there. You're adult now, responsible for yourself. And that's why I had to go work in a coal mine. There were no other jobs? In North Korea, there's no other options. Okay. Yeah. Sorry if that's a stupid question. I just. Well, it's alright because you don't know about North Korea. No. Yes, but it's, there's only option. It's working a coal mine or stealing, being homeless kid. And I have some few friends. You know, same as like my situation. You know, they just kicked out from the house, and we all working a go to a coal mine, working a one and a half year. And anyways, if you're working for a coal mine in North Korea, you won't get paid as a money currency. They're only going to give you rice per month, like 30 kilograms of rice per month. And they're going to feed you like three times a day, three meals a day, and they're going to let you sleep. Tell me how much 30 kilograms of rice is in terms of how many servings. Is that just enough food for one month? Yeah, just like really okay for a month. You know? Well, it's not above. It's for myself. And a lot of people in North Korea, they're risking their lives for 30 kilograms of rice, you know, because they think it's worth it, you know. <laughs> they cannot earn with another way. It's the only option. So while I was working in a coal mine for one and a half years, I lost many friends because there is no safety guarantees. And we go into t almost like two miles. We dig up the mountain and we make the way for the hand car to go into the coal mine. And then we dig the coals. Then we bring them into the big plastic bags, like really, really big bag. And then we carry them from like, because in the coal mine, you know, we cannot go straight. You know, we have to go up or down, you know, because there's we have to find where is the coal there. So we have to carry out the coal and print hand car and then take them out. And there is no helmets. All they give us is like really, really, really dark, like flashlights, one flashlights. And then there is no electronical machines. It's done by all hands, hand tools. It is really dangerous too. Every time there's rock falling from like next to me or the hand cars like crashing each other and like exposed and people is getting their arms cutting, legs cutting. So I lost a lot of friends over there. And then, you know, I already tasted freedom in China when I was 14 and I can never ever throw that away. Someday, if I have a chance, I will go to China again. I always keep telling myself that I'm going to get out of here. I'm gonna make it, you know? <laughs> it's not worth it. Someday I'm gonna die. The human is born to be dead. And rather dying like this, by accident in a coal mine, I'll just go to China. And you know, I'm just gonna eat a one meal, you know? I'm just gonna eat fully once again, and I'm gonna leave my life. And I'm gonna die. So around one year and six months, I got the chance to escape coal mine. 
Now tell me why you're escaping the coal mine as opposed to just free to leave. Yeah, so it's not free to leave. If you want to leave like middle of the month, you have to give them a rice bag, like 30 kilograms of rice bag, or either you finish working in a coal mine for another month. Because when you start working, they're going to pay you 30 kilograms of rice. You know? So I didn't even work for one month, but they're going to pay you for 30 kilograms of rice because you have to eat, right? So if I just tell them like, I'm going to leave, then the option is you either pay them or they're going to beat you to death. So that's why I have to escape. Okay. And I finally escaped one and a half years and I came back to my brother's house and I tell him, please, I'm too scared. I can't because I was only like 16 and a half and like, you know, I can't work in a coal mine. I'm too scared. I'm frightened by the accidents. I'm going to die. And he's like, oh, at that time my brother wasn't home. My brother was in China and my sister-in-law told me, your brother isn't counting you as your brother. He abandons you. So don't ever come back again. My sister-in-law, you know, I don't know why she's mad at me, but some reason she doesn't want it to like let me in because I'm guessing that I'm, ha I have a like bad background. So let's say I got caught in China and I got thrown in the jail and I serve in a labor camp and it's for like bad image for them. Right. So they don't want to let me in. Yeah. So that's why they kick me Here out. Here it's called an ex-con. You're an ex-convict. Ex-convict? Well, you're, if once you're convicted of a crime, when you're let go, you're an ex-convict. And a lot of the time, people think that ex-convicts are dangerous. And so they don't give them a fair chance. So you were an ex-convict. Oh, yeah, I was an ex-convict. And then my sister wouldn't let me in. So what I'm going to do, I can't even go back to coal mine. The only option is if I go there, they're going to beat the shit out of me or I have to pay 30 kilograms of rice or I have to continue working for them. But I don't want to, you know, I don't want to end my life like that. So I was being homeless for three months. It was May, spring, you know, it's like flowers coming up and people go and farming. So it was warm too. So you know what? Why not? I'm going to be homeless until my brother come back. And then I got some crews, you know, I got some squats. You got what? Let's say like a few other kids, a few other homeless kids. Oh, yeah. you had a crew. I had a crew. Your buddies. I'm my buddies, my thief buddies. <laughs> okay. Well, I cannot even survive by myself, you know? We have to have a team, right? If you want to steal something, you have to play as a team. <laughs> so I had uh, like three friends that uh, I knew from my brother's like neighborhood. And they were like, okay, you know, we, we are going to survive together. And then we were being each other like three months. And then one day, one fateful day, there was a train. Uh, so there was a, like on the hill. It was like around 2 p.m. It's like the most like hottest day of the August. So it has rained in North Korea. It's a rain season in August in North Korea. And like it's really sticky, raining. But that day it was like sunny, really sunny. It really feels good too. And then I was laying down on a hill. And then I looked down. There's a train. And oh, I want to get the hell out of here. Why, why am I staying here? Either being a homeless, my brother won't come back. And even if he come back, according to what my sister-in-law says, he abandons me and he doesn't even care about me anymore. So why do I have to stay here, you know? I'm going to go to a different town. I want to get out of here. Okay, we're going to stop here for the day. I hope you enjoyed this episode of A Long Road Home. Before we say goodbye, there's a few people we'd like to thank. 
Thank you to Ariane Tama, who helps us do our public relations. Thank you to Pano Stupis, our editor. A few organizations that have helped us out along the way. I'd like to say thank you to Lyft Inc., Amnesty International, Helping Hands, North Korea, Liberty in North Korea, all who are groups that have supported us in creating and sharing this podcast. We hope you check in for our next podcast where we'll hear how Charles escaped from North Korea and what he's doing today. We look forward to talking with you again soon. Thanks for listening. Thank you.